Hello and welcome to the Vorthos Cast. I'm Brian Dawes. I'm Cristalano. And I'm Carrie Thomas. And this week we are discussing Act 2 of Arcane. So if you haven't listened to our previous episode on Act 1, you really should go back and do that. I don't want to spoil everything <laughs> for you right now. Oh, <laughs> wow. Uh, that's not true. We're not discussing Arcane. Uh, the tie-in uh, between the Vorthos cast and Arcane uh, got canceled last minute. So I'm sorry for all of you who were really looking forward to that. Um, you can find Arcane advertisements in literally every other game and ma- media out there, um, including in Magic the Gathering, where they are releasing arcane-themed secret layers, which is just mind-blowing. Yeah, like, if you had told me that they were doing a crossover with League of Legends a year ago, I'd have told you you'd lost your mind. Um, or not a year ago, two years ago, let's say that, two years ago. But it's it's crazy to me, and, like, arcane is so good, but I would never expected they would have gotten them a crossover with Magic the Gathering, so... Wow. I mean, the bigger crossover is Among Us, right? <laughs> I mean... Wow. I'm just saying, we don't have we don't have Planeswalkers in Among Us, so... Uh, it's Among Us one word, mod. by the way. I haven't been playing the right <laughs> Among yeah. Us is certainly something I would have expected before Arcane, especially with the timetable, now that Among Us has pretty much died off at the, the uh, social zeitgeist. I yeah. definitely would have expected the Among Us drop to be right about now. And um... <laughs> oh yeah, that's that was my joke a few years back. As like wait, like five years, and there will be a Magic Battle Royale. Do you know what game actually does have Magic cosmetics though? One of Minecraft. the greatest games of all time. Well, Minecraft too. Uh, Team <laughs> Fortress Two. Team Fortress Two. You can wear Chandra's goggles and think Garuk something or another it was meaningless at the time and it's meaningless now team fortress 2 is long gone so well uh i guess that's kind of our news for this week is there were a bunch of secret layers announced uh including the arcane ones i just uh mentioned there's like an arcane and by the way for those of you who like literally have no idea what we're talking about because you only pay attention to magic the gathering uh i encourage you to find uh, other hobbies as well but um, Arcane is a Netflix series, animated series, based in the world of the League of Legends game, which coincidentally is also the world of uh, Legends of Runeterra, which is a card game made by Riot, who makes League of Legends, which is why we're like shocked, because why on earth is there a secret layer featuring scenes and characters from the show Arcane, which is based on the lore of another card game? Uh, I'm excited, because as many of you know, I love League of Legends. Uh, but it's just a little weird. But there's a, a basic land secret layer. There's also another secret layer that has seven cards in it, I think, including a Godzilla treatment of Ristic Studies. So that's really cool. Yeah. With Jace ha, 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 as a flavor text. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like uh, that one has seven cards in it. Only four of them have been revealed as of today because the other three apparently contain spoilers for the final act of Arcane that's coming out this weekend. So real cool. Um, there's also secret layers announced today, uh, f- uh, the day of the recording, which is Thursday. So last Thursday for you, where they announced a bunch of them. There's just like a whole like as they do, there's like five or six of them. There's like a Dracula one, the Dracula lands one. The big one is a uh, like $100 secret layer that's going to be a full commander deck. So it's like a commander pre-con except uh, fancier. So that's neat. And it's uh, so good. Like if I wanted to play a coin flip deck, the cards in it are really, really good. And like half are foil, half are not foil. It, it's a really good value for 100 bucks if you're interested in that kind of deck. Yeah, so um, just go check those out. You can probably find them by Googling Secret Layer. It's, it's yeah, they're they're out there. Uh, any other news? Not that comes to mind. Gary? R.I.P. Puka Trade. Uh, oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> like, as someone who used Puka Trade extensively for a, sh- a short period of time and got a good amount of uh, commander upgrades... Like when it was good, it was good, but then it oh, just yeah. fell off a cliff real fast. Yeah, I was a loyal user for quite a few years and then even came back after the whole dip. But you know, sometimes a joke's just a joke. <laughs> I was uh I was hoping one of you would mention the Master of Metal release that's coming out of oh, yeah. the first because yeah, I don't want to talk about Tezzeret. There is a Tezzeret comic spinoff of the main magic boom comics um 
And that Tesseract comic is called Master of Metal, not to be confused with Test of Metal. And Master of Metal reveals all of Tesseract's diabolical machinations when he is free of Nicol Bolas. And yeah, that's about all we know about it. It's coming out December 1st. Um, we'll see if there's more spinoffs like these. I think it's uh, I think it's Tesseract. And I think we all we all have feelings about Tesseract. While he may be loved by some, he is uh, not welcome in a heart house. So cute mustache twirling. I'm uh, I'm curious if they're going to reveal in this spinoff uh, how exactly he gets his hair into those dreadlocks. Yeah, That's what I want to know. Oh. Yeah, for being for being a white Nordic European, certainly does. Anyways. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, this week on the cast, we are actually going to be discussing the second week of the Crimson Val story. So uh, not the second act of Arcane, the second act of the Crimson Val story. We've got uh, two of them, the main story, The Dolores Weight of Pleasantries by K. Arsenault Rivera, and the side story, The Blessing of Blood by Marcus Terrell Smith. If you have not read them, I mean, like, you've had a really long time. They're good. <laughs> yeah, um, you should you should go read them. Uh, but we're going to talk about them and uh, give us our thoughts. So um, we're going to start off with the Dolores, Dolores, Dolo, Dolores, the Dolores Weight of Pleasantries by K. Arsenault Rivera. So we begin at the Valderan estate where the wedding ceremonies are commencing. Um, there's a Stromkirk vampire named Cordel- Cordelia who is putting up with another Valderan vampire, Relio. Um, as he's just getting into nonsense at this party. And pretty much every ga- every vampire from around Innistrad is gathered there, including the Dominothi, who uh, Relio is not fond of. Um, and as he's spouting about the Dominothi and how they consort with demons and how vile and disgusting they are, Henrika Dominothi kills him. Um <laughs> Some servants drag away his body. Uh, Olivia then, at that point, uh, arrives and her servants bring out Edgar Markov's coffin. Um, Then we cut to the Gatewatch, who are just hoping to party crash as subtly as possible, (laughs) piggybacking off the coattails of Soren Markov, probably the most unwelcome person who happened to be invited by virtue of being a vampire. Um, I I just want to say that the fact that they thought all of them could get in off of one invitation was super bold. Yeah, because they're like (laughs) plus one, and you're like, no, this is like plus Tefiri and Harlan and Chandra and Kaya. Like, no, you're not all getting in. So one of them is dress code appropriate, and it's Chandra. Yeah. Um, and so Soren is admitted by the two guards and the rest of the Gatewatch and Arlen have to remain outside while Soren enters. Um, but before that happens, Chandra's joking with Adeline. Uh, Soren scolds her for joking. Tafiri, the jokester, starts defending Chandra. <laughs> of course. And, at which point Soren actually departs the group and heads inside. Um, the guards who were at the front summon new guards to take their place as they accompany the esteemed Soren Markov inside. Uh, he hands over his invitation to one of the check-in people and enters further as everybody who's a vampire gawks at him because he's Soren fucking Markov and nobody likes this dude. And when he is announced um, into the room, into the ballroom itself, He does consider murdering the announcer, but holds off. As he is being announced, uh, Olivia is spotted, and Soren moves up to confront her. Um, He knows that something's up at this point, and he also is aware of how Edgar Markov awakens, which is that he has to have blood dripped onto the top of his coffin and then once it fills like the entire indented grooves of his coffin some drips into his mouth and the blood that drips into his mouth whoever it was from had leaves an impression on him depending on their emotional state and intent and so soren would only awaken his grandfather at opportune emotionally calm times and would avoid doing so otherwise or else he would quite literally leave a bad impression on the dude. But he sees 
the giddy and gleeful Olivia begin to spill her blood on Edgar Markov's coffin. And he considers all that he's been through and all of the friends he's lost because he's a sad, sad boy. And (laughs) (laughs) that his grandfather is the only one who really has stuck with him the entire way, um, despite the entire bloodline despising him. Um, So not wanting to lose his grandfather, he charges forward. Four guards stand in his way. He rips out the throat of one of them and then starts to use a sanguinancy to control the other two. Um, but then I'm he sorry, forgets that there's a fourth. I need to interrupt you because you did not write sanguinancy in this document. You said oh, I wrote blood, blood bends because it's the same exact mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> and blood bending is more fun to write than sanguinancy. And it's also just more popular. Uh, yeah, so he takes control of two of the guards, but then, of course, the fourth guard, who he had forgotten, gets a holy uh, silver-blessed chain around his neck and holds him back. He starts to charge forward despite this, but more guards pile onto him and more chains are wrapped around him. Edgar regretfully awakens from Olivia's blood and smiles and begins drinking from Olivia herself to regain his strength. And Soren tries to shout to Edgar and awaken him from whatever trance Olivia has put him under, but Edgar just dismisses him and wants to proceed with the festivities, which he is very eager to do. Not only um, that, he he shames him and like calls about as being a a sore spot on the party. You are a party pooper, Soren Markov. <laughs> I definitely want this. I'm an old man, and I'm in control of my finances. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so, so party pooper Soren is held back, and um, the guards eventually move to dress Edgar. Soren is just standing there, kind of dismayed by the whole situation, as Olivia begins going over to other Markovian coffins and pouring her blood onto them as well to wake them up. And... Soren suspects these were all handpicked by Olivia as people who despise him, but also it's not really hard to handpick people who despise Soren because that's pretty much everyone in the entire vampire population. So these Markovs awake from their sleep and kindly greet Soren, but do not talk with him. For talking with Soren Markov is a real bummer. And that is the end of the story. Soren Markov is such a little emo boy, and I, yes! I love him so much. Yes. Like, I, okay, I'm sorry. Soren Markov is terrible. He's an awful person. <laughs> terrible human slash vampire. He's just, like, bad. But he's so emo in the story, and I just want to reach out and, like, hug him like I would hug my 10th grade self and be like, it's going to be okay. You can take that My Chemical Romance album off of uh, repeat. It's fine. You can... Don't put on that nail polish. Step away (laughs) from the eyeliner, Soren. It's going to be okay. He is just like the fact that he, I'm sure everybody feels sympathy with him, specifically around the Edgar situation. But also like, to be honest, we haven't seen him interact with Edgar. Like prior to this block, not block, we had been told that he was pretty adversarial and was not welcome in Markov manner and that he was kind of disowned by the entire family, which we assumed meant Edgar as well. Edgar isn't that on bad terms with Soren, but at the same time, um, wasn't always implied to have been like a close connection who he definitely cared about and actually cared about keeping around. Like The issue of Edgar Markov disappearing during Shadows of Innistrad was not the greatest concern to Soren. It was just... Markov Manor was destroyed, so we assume his grandfather died as well. Yeah, because so, like I, I had assumed that the majority of his relatives, the only ones that survived, were the ones that are away from Markov Manor. So, yeah. but also like this, this set has explored the fact that Edgar Markov was pretty aware of what he was doing to Innistrad, and he knew that the imbalance would eventually have to be corrected but he wasn't going to do anything about it. Like the, I don't know, the prolonged thought of like, this is impending, but I'm not going to do anything about it. And also like, I know everybody hates you, but I'll still talk to you. 
it's just such a weird space for Edgar to exist in. And I would love to see a story of him not mind-controlled and talking to Soren because just seeing how this fucked up dude who doesn't care about anything is actually operating in his day-to-day life when he's not sleeping would be cool. And one thing I'd also like to say is that we get Soren's view on his father, his grandfather. We don't actually know, like we don't, all of our stories that we have of him are based on this one viewpoint. And who's to say that Edgar doesn't have a different side or, um, or that their relationship is different than what Soren is thinking of. Even though this is internal monologue, this is still Soren's perspective on their relationship and there's, and their viewpoints of the plane. We don't know if Edgar had contingencies for uh, the human population as it dwindled. So we'll see. Or if he's just like, holy shit, my cringe grandson woke me up again. Please let me go back to sleep. Because that's <laughs> like, I don't care if there's like an existential disaster coming for our entire species. My grandson sucks and I don't want to talk to him. Um, I mean, we all have that boomer grandparent who uh, <laughs> thinks that climate change isn't real, but we'll sit there and talk with us about it. But it's just like, uh-huh. Oh yeah, yeah. That's um. That sounds pretty bad. I'm sure somebody down the line will do something about it, but it's not going to be me. So you know, I heard on Olivia's talk show the other day. Oh God! Actually, <laughs> the humans, the humans are reproducing twice as fast. It's eternal night, so all they're doing is sleeping with each other. Oh, so we don't God. have to worry. <laughs> it's actually good. <laughs> wow. that's my takeaway from edgar and soren's relationship is that like edgar gets woken up and like soren like tells him all about like oh yeah there's this problem on zendikar and you know i'm dealing with these friends and they're just they blah 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 blah. and then edgar's just like nodding he's like "Uh uh-huh oh yeah soren Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now you know everyone here hates you right (laughs) this is why but i mean i love you you're my grandson i love you but like maybe you could you could stop a little bit yeah i also feel like part of our impression of soren comes from the fact that like every single living person on innistrad hates this dude and yet he's going to be like well i'm still going to protect it because it's my home plane and it's like you could just find a home plane where people like you (laughs) like you could find a single other place where you are admired and respected, but you're going to stick around on the place that literally causes you nothing but trouble. And that is that is a character choice that Sor- uh, Soren Markov has made. So Yeah, he's... um. See, like, I don't fault him for wanting to save Innistrad, and I don't fault him for, like, doing what he has or whatever. Um, my problem with Soren is that everything he touches uh, goes to shit. Like, he's been completely unsuccessful with everything he's tried to do in his entire incredibly long existence. And it's all his fault every yeah. single time. But, like, this story <laughs> is the first time we've seen him motivated to, um, like, at this point in the Zendikar story, if, th- like, if this had been the original Zendikar story, this is where he pieces out from the plane and says, like, well, I'll be back sometime, I guess. And it's like, oh, so you're not really doing anything to help us. You just kind of wanted to get to a point where you could feel defeat. And then leave. (laughs) It's just like, just been his entire life up to this point. So I'm happy he's sticking around. I'm happy his grandfather is something he's worth fighting for. But again, we kind of got a different impression all the way up to this block. So we'll see exactly um, how that develops. Yeah. Uh, Major shout out to uh, K. Arsenal Rivera for making us even discuss Soren in a positive light. (laughs) (laughs) And I won't say like their their relationship was something that was like firmly established in canon because it was like literally an article from what, 2011 and maybe the same article text regurgitated in in an Estrad art book. Like it wasn't set in stone, so didn't need to gnaw your way out. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh yeah speaking of that in this story someone shouts at soren's like oh it's the guy from the rock or something like that let me let me find the exact <laughs> and i just wanted to hug that person so much i'm glad that meme has transcended reality and made it into the fiction like it's the dude from the rock <laughs> one of the when he's just like doing youtuber faces in front of him like oh <laughs> <laughs> when he when he shows up to the manor one of the vampires shouts out that's him the man in the rock how droll and then somebody else says like he should have a face or he should have a mouth like a gorger 
because <laughs> yeah he had to eat his way out of the rock so what but oh my god uh good story though i'm it's an excellent episode two makes me really excited for episode three um we're gonna we're gonna have to get through this wedding at some point so uh looking forward to that but any other thoughts on this one because uh we should probably move on to talk about the second the, the side story uh the side story for this uh second week of stories for crimson val was the blessing of blood by marcus terrell smith uh would love to mention here by the way that we do have recurring characters between the side story and the main story so that's cool but also um we did uh record our flavor gems last week and we ended a lot of the flavor gems with like this this character has no lore uh well the legends article is out so if you want to go it came out the day after we recorded if you want to go and uh, read that it will tell you a little bit more backstory about all of these characters and the main and side stories also, also, Wizards of the Coast sponsored a video. Wizards of the Coast sponsored a video from Rhystic Studies, um, Sam, to talk about Odric and specifically this story. So, go watch that. <laughs> that's, that's all I've got to plug. Is that it was a good video. It's by Rhystic Studies. You know, it's going to be good. So, it kind of feels like that video is like fifteen minutes long. And it's better than anything we're going to talk about for the next 20 minutes. So, yeah. like, um, but it's also just like different level, you know? Yeah, it's so good. It is very, very good. But like it does uh, does really go deep in Audric. So we're not going to be able to do that much uh, character study, I think. But uh, The Blessing of Blood by Marcus Terrell Smith. Um, I guess I will I will lead us through this one unless Brian wants to do it. All right. So the story starts off with a letter from Thalia detailing what's happened since uh, Audric and Thalia last parted ways. Uh, if you remember, uh, Thalia and Greet went off to go fight uh, in Thraben, and Audric just kind of stayed back at this Nearhearth chapel. Uh, and Audric is still there. Uh, it's not been a long time. It's kind of hard to tell uh, in the story exactly how long it's been since that parting of the ways, but this is... This is pre-Midnight Hunt. This is shortly after the events of Eldritch Moon, as far as I can tell. Because uh, the the letter that Thalia sends goes pretty in-depth about like what happened uh, between the Archangels and Avicen is dead and uh, Emrakul showing up and Thalia having to peace out because she can't deal with that. Um, but uh, Audric is still at that chapel. He's basically been there praying the entire time. Because the last time we saw him, uh, he killed a bunch of his own Cathars. Uh, he had basically just found out that everything he was serving for a long time had been a lie. Uh, the council had been off gallivanting with demons. We, we talked about all this in the like history of Innistrad episodes. Just go back and listen to that. Um, but it turns out the letter was being read to Audric by a priest. And the priest admits like, yep. Uh, as far as I can tell, there's no more Avicen. All of the wards are gone. They failed. None of the angels are answering prayers. We are done. Um, there is no hope. And Audric freaks out and just destroys the altar uh, to, to Avicen. He just breaks it apart uh, because he's just so upset that not only has the church lied to him, but Avicen is gone. I, I just I just want to note one thing here is that Audric has been consuming nothing but holy water at this point. <laughs> Yeah. So like there's like two monks, right, who keep bringing him food and water and he like says no to all of it, but he does sometimes drink the water and they're just bringing him holy water to drink, which is relevant. So, um, but yeah, so Audric destroys the altar and then he like turns around and realizes that the priest has like dropped his staff and taken off his vestments and he's just walking out into the night. Like that dude is done. Um, and Audric is like, no, that's a bad idea. You're going to die. And then he looks over and there's like a father and daughter who are like huddled in a corner uh, who just like listened to this letter being read about the end of the world and watched Audric destroy the altar. And so they are kind of freaking out and you can't really blame them. Um, Audric is like, no, 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 it's fine. I'll protect you as long as we're in the church. We're okay. And then we start hearing uh, screaming outside as the priest is supposedly murdered. Um, cause you could just assume that's who died. Uh, and there's like all these sounds of screams and then like a cackling sound and this mist rolls into the chapel. Uh, the two monks who've been feeding and like giving Audric holy water come out and they're like, Hey, what's going on? This is pretty scary. And Audric is like, Hey, you should probably leave. And then the mist takes control of them. Uh, and they are compelled to tell the mist who they identify is Henrika Domnathi from the previous story that we talked about. 
uh, they tell her that the tears of Avison are above the altar. And so like the tears of Avison are like the actual tears of Avison, apparently that they use for like anointing like Cathars and priests. And it's like a very special religious relic. Um, I have a question. What made Avison cry? She saw someone litter. <laughs> Checks out. Continue. Sorry about that. I have no idea. Um, she just cries on demand, I guess. Um, whenever they need some more holy water for anointing. But uh, Henrika, as Audric remembers, is a vampire who consorts with demons, uh, specifically Ormondal. And uh, he catches a reflection of the moonlight uh, as it's like coming through the window and like shines it on the mist. And it causes the uh, the mist to like disperse a little bit. Uh, Cause it can't be touched by the moonlight. And uh, then as he's like done that and he's like, aha, Henrika, I can beat you back. And you, you monks, you need to run and hide. Um, two Cathars come out and kill the monks. And Henrika's like, yeah, guess what? Uh, these are mine now. Uh, and the two Cathars have each replaced, I think it's their left hand with like a skeletal hand. Uh, Vecna is here. <laughs> oh wait, sorry. That was absolutely my thought too. Um, and Henrika like says to Audric, like Ormondal is their angel now. She's, you know, they had no one to serve and now they serve Ormondal. Uh, so Audric fights them off and, uh, some more Cathars are wait, like wait, spread wait, around. Wait, mm-hmm. I, I, I need to say something. Audric is a badass. Like I've, I've loved all of his cards, but never would I have imagined he was this badass. Like he's fighting straight up vampires by himself for a time. Like, uh, yeah, he definitely has first strike, uh, yeah. probably double strike. Um, the fact that none of his cards have double strike until unless someone else has it makes me unright like ridiculously mad now reading this story. Like, I just love the, the, the battle scenes in this story and how they represent Audric, even in, at his lowest point, as still being a fiercely competent fighter. Yeah, the there's like a lot of fighting and action in this story, and it's all pretty good. Um, the author, Marcus Terrell Smith, he also wrote, wrote uh, A Silent Voice Calls, which was the Killian Lou story from Strixhaven. And there's you know a lot about Killian Lou that I'm not going to discuss, but uh, the story itself contained some really cool fight scenes. So this guy definitely knows how to write a really compelling and exciting like combat. Uh, so yeah, Audric like fights these Cathars who he you know he he's got like his like background guilt about like, oh, I trained these men and now I'm having to kill them. Um, but he, you know, manages to fight them off and Henrika spends this time explaining to him her whole plan. Cause she's a villain. So of course she does that. <laughs> and she like says like, Oh, I need the tears of Avison cause they contain power and we're going to use them to anoint someone and all this. And, uh, Audric is like, he realizes like the way to deal with a vampire is just to insult them. And so like he calls her an errand girl for Ormondal uh, yeah. and like he calls her bloodline, a minor bloodline. And this, like, absolutely tilts Henrika off the face of the earth. She hates this. Um, yeah, I like that somebody on Anastrata is smart enough to just antagonize the monsters until, <laughs> until they feel bad about it. It's so funny. Yeah, it's it's a really funny moment. I think, I think he has the freedom to do that because he can back it up with his fighting. But yeah. also, like, still, I want more people to do that. Like, I have, like, when I was reading it, I was like... He's got him monologuing like Syndrome in the Incredibles. It's like, this is great. Yeah, it's a it's a very funny scene. But also, like, it gives you a little insight into Henrika that, like, she she kind of preyed on Audric's own failures. She knew that, like, oh, here's the dude who, like, had to kill a bunch of his own Cathars and was lied to. And, like, he's she she preys on him and then he can return it right back and be like, yeah, well, you know, you think you're so powerful, but like your bloodline, I've barely even heard of it and uh you're just some demon's errand girl and so it's you know it's really interesting um she really wants to fight them uh, fight him at this point uh and like at that moment the priest comes back he like walks back in the chapel and he's like beat all the crap but he seems to be completely unfazed by the pain and he's like holding a little devil in his arms which i think is very cute <laughs> um, uh and one of his hands has been replaced with a skeletal hand. And Henrika says that, you know, it's her plan to anoint him as the first priest of their demonic order. Uh, so Henrika starts like kind of needling at Audric. And then she opens up the pit 
<laughs> like she pushes all of the pews in this chapel to the walls and like opens up this big area in the middle of it and it's like all right well let's fight and so like all these cathars come from like the windows and like the alcoves and stuff and they all start fighting Audric. but then like thalia of course shows up she just drops in from the roof and starts fighting alongside him um vengeance you can't have a story about Audric without having Thalia. Uh, so then they fight off the Cathars and they just kill them all pretty easily because, like, these are the two best Cathars in all of Innistrad. Batman and Robin Innistrad style. Basically. Um, so all the Cathars die and then uh, the vampires. So, like, some Domnathi vampires have shown up and they start fighting. And, like, for a second there, Thalia and Audric are doing pretty okay. But uh, they really can't fight off all these vampires. So they end up losing. Um, and by losing, I mean, like, these vampires start, like, biting them and, like, cutting them and, like, holding them down and restraining them. And it, it's it's done, right? Um, they are trapped. They think this is over. Uh, the priest walks up to the altar, what was the altar, and, like, sacrifices the little devil over the pool of tears, of Abbotson's tears, and, like, causes this, like, evil demonic magic to happen. The tears start turn red and the face of Ormondala appears in them. Um, and Henrika's like, oh, we're you know ready for making some sacrifices. And she calls forth uh, the father and daughter who are completely ensorcelled by her now. Uh, and they walk up and the father offers his neck to her. And she's like, oh, will you serve? And then she kills him for some reason. Um, at this point, she then calls the daughter over and the daughter offers up his, her neck. And Audric is like, no, 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 stop it. Leave the daughter alone. Let her and Thalia leave. You can have me. And Henrika's like, I've already got all of you. Like, this is not a compelling argument. Um, I'm actually going to just take both of you because you're the two best Cathars in the world. So, like, will you serve me? And uh, Thalia has a moment where she's like, I'll, I serve, I serve. And then she launches into this, uh, this like saying, this sort of like, um, what would you call it? Uh, it's where, you know, it's like the, the code of the Cathars. Um, where she says that uh, she she serves the soft the soft light of the moon that holds back the terrors of the night, um, and Henrika's like, well, the terrors are going to win, and she uh, forces Thalia's arm out, and she goes to cut off Thalia's hand, and as she does that, Audric jumps in front, and he takes the cut instead, and he's mortally wounded. He's going to die. Uh, Henrika sees this and thinks, oh, that's so interesting. Um, and she descends on Audric and she turns him. So she cuts her own tongue and then feeds from one of his wounds. And as she does this, she mingles her blood with his and he becomes a vampire. And while all of this is happening, there's some like random Domnathi vampire off to the side who's like, uh, Miss Henrika, I don't feel so good. It's literally um, that line. Though, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, Peter. Um, and so he... Uh, starts like he's like oh this is not settling right and then he just kind of explodes um and all of the other vampires who were like holding audric and thalia down who had like bitten them and fed from them start exploding um and then henrika's like oh no oh no there's holy water in your blood and she like starts like breaking out in hives i guess um and lets Audric go. And then Audric jumps up and he saves the daughter. So the young girl uh, was kind of taken off by the priest who had sacrificed the devil and was now going to baptize this girl as like the first child baptized in this Ormondal pool. Um, Audric manages to kill the priest and Thalia jumps up and grabs the girl and they all run out of the building as like, like basically like cabin in the woods style explodes into blood <laughs> like it just becomes this like giant ruin of uh this ormondal liquid just going everywhere and they get out and they're all safe um henrika is missing we assume she's getting ready for the wedding now um audric is fully a vampire but he he doesn't feel the bloodlust uh that you would expect and thalia kind of uh once they're out of the chapel she like pushes the young girl behind her and then asks Audric if he can see the moon. Um, and so like we, we mentioned earlier, moonlight is like sunlight for vampires on Innistrad. Um, and he like looks up at the moon and he expects to like feel like pain, but he just feels peace. And then he pulls up his sword, which is like glowing with Avicennian magic or like righteous magic or whatever it is. Um, and he can see his reflection in it. So like at that point, he knows like I am human. I am whole. I am here. 
Um, and so he, uh, yeah, I think that's like basically where we're left off. Um, they stand together in solidarity. Uh, we, we kind of know now that like Thalia is doing her best to fight the terrors of the night. And now she has a, uh, comrade who is a vampire who is fighting alongside her. Audric now to be played by Mahershala Ali in the next Marvel movie Blade. <laughs> yeah. This is like straight vampire who hunts vampires. It's really cool. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to lie. I was not very happy when I found out Audric was going to be a vampire in the set. Um, but I, I think this was the best way to do it if you had to do this trope. Um, so I, I, I just want to commend our story by Marcus Terrell Smith because um, he did a good job and made me not as um, angry that Audric was turned vampire because Audric was a bad the badass here and uh, it's great i loved it i will say i want a sequel to this story well not a sequel i want a partner story where thalia is outside the church and she hands the priest the letter and she's like hey can you like hand this can you like read this to audric and he's like sure whatever and then she's like climbing on the roof and just like <laughs> watching his reaction <laughs> as he hears the letter and she's like oh okay well I mean, he's taking it worse than I expected. And then the vampires show up and she's like, shit. And she has to smash through the roof. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> that like I, under- I understand the dramatic effect. I just think it would be uh, a little a little silly for her to just happen to be on top of the roof. Right? <laughs> in my, um, in like the way I kind of like r- reconciled the fact that like it starts with a letter from Thalia and then she shows up is that like she sent that letter. And then like a couple of minutes later went, you know, actually, I should just fucking go. Yeah. <laughs> so he just like hits the road and goes to get him um, and then shows up to the place being covered in vampires. Uh, I I liked the story a lot. I think that the action scenes are really fun. I feel I want a more contemplative story because as cool as it is to watch Audric kill a bunch of vampires and then be turned into one, um, I want more time with Audric, who is like contemplating his nature, um, who is thinking about like, what does this mean? who is like experiencing like his first blood, you know, thirst is like, he, he needs to drink blood to survive. Like, how is he going to do that? What is he going to do to reconcile that? Um, so I'm hoping that we get more about Audric, not five years from now when we return to Innistrad again, <laughs> but like maybe they'll throw him into like a commander set or like a, one of these like battle bond esque releases, you know, and we'll get like, an Audric story for that. Yeah, I will say this is like continuing the trend of side stories where we're like, hey, we just want more of this. Like we want to yeah. see we want to see more from these characters because they are really, really fun to read and we want to continue on with their stories. And the nature of Magic's story is that there's going to be a lot of people wanting different things and not entirely enough space to tell all those stories. But like we can be hopeful that um, supplemental sets and other kind of releases aside from the standard sets and like the commander legends briefing articles um, get more of a spotlight and have the opportunity to tell more of these stories because like we also recognize that like there isn't a whole bunch of turnaround time available for hearing people's love for Audric in this story and wanting to reincorporate him into a future supplemental set just or even incorporate a character who battles Audric as an excuse to have an Audric story in a future supplemental set so like I don't know I'm just like very happy we are at a pace where people are extremely um satisfied with both the main story and the side stories that are being told to the point where they just want more at any cost This is definitely a storyline I would love to see picked up by Boom Comics or even a Netflix show. Like, oh man, it's the quality of some of these web stories have been really, really good, like Carrie said. And I I just, I really hope that they they do more with it than just the five short stories that we get with the sets. I'm hoping that the Boom Comics are successful enough to where they feel like they can hire artists and people to carry on some of these storylines after the fact so that people are, so they can develop their, their IP and give people these interesting stories and make them aware that, Hey, these are good stories and 
you should definitely be interested. Yeah. The only, the only thing I can say about that is that um, part of the reason why boom comics is successful where, uh, well, I mean, magic has been very successful, but I think one of the big things that, that makes boom comics is comics so good and successful that we will definitely talk about at some point in the near future again, (laughs) um, is that by going through boom, boom is the one who is paying to make those comics. So wizards of the coast just, gives boom their ip and you know gives some oversight a little bit i'm sure uh but like boom is the one who goes and finds the author and the artist and and pays them to make the comics the problem that we run into with magic story is that um we don't really want this to leave wizards of the coast because we've done that before and it was bad so we really we don't want to just give a bunch of money to like i don't know uh what's a what's a a bell gray bell gray sounds good yeah exactly (laughs) um and tell them to hire a big name author who's maybe written a bunch of like episodes for cartoons about superheroes and uh stone (laughs) creatures and we tell them like hey write a couple of books for us And then we get them back and we're like, we can't work with these, you know? So what I'm hoping is what we can do is like, just tell Watsy to like become a small publishing company, like on top of everything else you do and hire some of these authors to just continue these stories or write side stories into like little novellas or like do a short story collection where you just pick some people completely unrelated to the sets and be like, hey, let's get another Audric story. Let's get another story about, you know, Dina over in Strixhaven. And let's grab, you know, another character like, I don't know, uh, Akiri or something. And just like create a little collection of stories that continue their story that lets us enjoy them some more. But also like don't export it out to another company. Um. (laughs) Well, that's the whole thing is like we there's no law saying that they have to stick with standard storyline stories but there's also no law that says that they have to stick to product related stories like obviously the stories act as probably the most minuscule aspect of marketing for the actual sets themselves they aren't bringing in new people they are just adding on top of people who are already invested in reading the story and bringing their attention to new characters who have associated cards and products that they can get. But you can just do entirely unrelated side stories. It would not be efficient to do because you kind of run into the problem of like tracking that over time and the fact that it's unrelated to your current product, so it's harder to promote. But also the pace of product releases as they are now is so quick that it doesn't really stay in the zeitgeist anyways. You might as well do fill in these story lulls with some kind of content. And I don't know, you have the money to do it. Like I'm I'm confident that the whatever this $100 commander deck secret lair is would pay for the entire story contribution team's budget for the entire year. Like Secret layers are obviously just a gold mine that they can repeatedly strike for as much money as they want to. And it is just a matter of like, if you need the money for this thing, you obviously are making the money to support these kind of efforts. So if you're serious about making your story more than a 10 episodes every quarter kind of deal, then that's perfectly fine. They're clearly serious about it enough to do the Netflix series and the associated book and also the comic series. But will there be more dedication beyond that to the web fiction side of things? Or is it going to be 10 standard set stories within five weeks every quarter and be done with it? So I just think the possibilities are endless once you kind of look outside of what has been historically done with Magic Story and also retain the stuff in-house as much as possible. So, So here's a suggestion, what they could try is they could get one of these authors who's written um, for one of these side stories, or maybe they haven't even written for the side story. Maybe they're just an author who would like work really well with magic IP. Uh, and you take that author and you tell them to write like a novella um, for one of the characters. It could even be a new character, someone they create just in a familiar setting. And you release it around Christmas time as like a little Shush. gift. <laughs> I knew this was another one. I just had to get to the bit. 
So uh, on that note, they should re-release Children of the Nameless. Just put it on the website for Christmas this year. Um, that is my only campaign at Wizards at the moment. Yeah. I'm like, that is the prime example, though, is like, that was free web fiction, not web fiction in the hosted on a web page on magic.wizards.com domain, but hosted as a file there. So it's still technically qualifying as web fiction. And that did tremendously successful and has a loyal cult following led by Chris Delano. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's just a matter of like, you have the um, possibilities to do this. You do not need to wait until an author like Brandon Sanderson proposes the idea of doing his own individual planeswalker story that is largely removed from most of the events so that it doesn't have conflicts. But you can just like do that with literally any character. You can do themed anthologies like you've done in the past with like Myths of Magic and Dragons of Magic and all those other ones. So look, I don't all know. I'm saying is I would be incredibly delighted if for some reason, maybe Christmas Eve this year, uh, <laughs> not no, no, I'm not doing my joke. I'm okay. being serious. If Christmas Eve this year uh, just dropped on the website with a little bit of, you know, maybe a tweet goes out. Uh, a PDF that's just a, a novella by Sean and McGuire about Tyvar at Christmas. Like, <laughs> I would love that because I know Sean and McGuire would love to write it. It's Tyvar Kell. She loves Tyvar Kell. And, and she does a great job writing stories. We've loved everything we've gotten from her. And she's a fan of the game. And it would just be great. We get to revisit Tyvar without having to have a standard set release. We get a little story. We all have a nice night reading by the fire. I'm just, you know, just some wishful thinking. But uh, anyways, final thoughts time. Ah, uh, yes. My final thought is don't buy magic product on Amazon. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because I have ordered, because I like, normally I, I am pretty good friends with my LGS manager. And normally I, I tell them to hold commander decks for me, one of each, whenever the new set comes out. I forgot to do that for Midnight Hunt, and by the time I got up to the store, they were all sold out of the blue-black zombie one. So, go to Amazon. All right, they say they have them in stock. I buy I buy the deck. It gets here. It's the green-white deck. Mm. I file for a replacement to send it back. They send me another green-white deck. I'm going to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like... I'm tempted to just place an order with both of the decks in the order so I can return the green-white one again when it gets here, just so they know that there's two separate products, just to see if it works. You're going to get two green-white decks. That's what's going to happen. You know, if it happens, it happens, but I'm going to give it one more try just to see what happens. But, like, my God, man, just don't do it. Don't, don't, don't put yourself through the pain. Go to your LGS to buy product because, like, Amazon is such a crapshoot as far as what you're going to get. Yeah, I've heard some true horror stories of people getting the wrong thing on Amazon, trying to return it. And then once they try to return the item that was incorrectly sent to them, they're like, hey, this isn't the item. And it's like, yeah, this isn't the item because you didn't send me the correct item. <laughs> like, I'm sending it back to you exactly as you gave it to me. And they're like, no, we can't. We can't take this as a refund because it's not the correct item. And it's like, no, <laughs> whole battle. Um, my fine. I'll go for it. My final thought is I cannot wait until February. Um, by that point, I think there should be three bloodline counters on the queen's coffin, and then she'll be able to come into her next phase. <laughs> She's going to emerge. It's going to be Edgar Markov. <laughs> my God. Oh, my God. The Queen is definitely alive, everyone. The Queen of England is 100% a living, breathing human being as the time this podcast is being recorded. Uh -huh. I promise you that. Um, they sure. are definitely not covering up anything because she is definitely alive. Long wink. <laughs> she, she's very much dead, everyone. The Queen of England. There's no way. Um, Even if she's not dead, it's more fun to say that she is dead. <laughs> like... <laughs> Because it's so suspicious for you to ever put out a statement and be like, hey, she won't be seen for four months. And also she's entering a new phase. Like, what are you talking about? I, I just love that everybody on Twitter correctly. Um, Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't correctly be suspicious. attributed the phase thing to boss battles. 
So yeah. oh. it's going to be really funny if it like re-release this on Monday. And by the time it's released, she's like been pronounced dead. And like, everyone's like, Oh yeah, no, the queen. No, that's dead. not funny at all. But, <laughs> no. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, the, the queen of England, a hundred percent alive right now. Um, but, uh, my final thought is actually, you know, going to bring this back around to the start of the show. Uh, by the time this podcast releases, the final three episodes of Arcane will have come out on Netflix. Uh, this show is really good. Like, like not just from like the standpoint of like someone who enjoys League of Legends, uh, as someone who just enjoys animation, but also like someone who enjoys good television. This show is all of that. So like Arcane has set the bar incredibly high for the future Netflix magic show. And I do not feel uh, feel like it will ever be able to live up to how good Arcane is. Um, it's just so like they've been working on Arcane for like six years, right? And so like, and this magic show has been in production kind of for a while, but like it's gonna have big shoes to fill in the terms of like animated show based off of a game. Yeah, I feel like even Castlevania was like a hit in very similar sense, but not as modern of a game. Clearly, <laughs> so like there was also there was a Dota anime that was released. Um, that was okay. I've heard like it was fine, but like Arcane has literally just like it has become the number one show on Netflix. Uh, people are watching it who have never interacted with League of Legends. Um, I recommend if you watch it and you're like, "Wow, this show's really good," and you think I should play League of Legends, don't do that. <laughs> I I recommend you play Legends of Runeterra. Yes. Um, maybe maybe try out Wild Rift on your phone, uh, where there's not an all chat where people can call you slurs. Um, just go, don't play League of Legends. Um, but if you want to discuss the upcoming Magic Netflix show, there is a very dusty, very unused Netflix show discussion channel in our discord which you can access by becoming a patron on patreon.com slash the vorthos cast for one dollar a month you get access to our discord server where vorthos is from around the world are gathering to talk crimson vow and arcane actually there's been a lot of arcane talk um and we're also you know uh discussing children of the nameless by brandon sanderson so uh come join our discord by joining our patreon for three dollars a month you can join our live listen uh, where we informed one of our listeners tonight that the Queen of England was definitely alive. So it's uh, oh it's a good God. time. Um, yeah, that's uh, that was a pretty smooth transition. I'm proud of that one. And uh, this has been the Vorthos Cast. <laughs>